Great to be here. Great to be here. And um, great to be able to worship with you all. I'm so looking forward to meeting, meeting some of you and seeing some of you again after the service uh, and uh, as we spend time together. Uh, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. This morning we're going to think about the greatest way to spend your life. Okay? That's what this morning's uh, time together in God's Word is going to be about. The greatest way to spend your life from uh, Philippians 1. Um, the last 15 years has been, uh, uh, Harvest Glasgow has been, I think, one of the greatest thrills in my life and seeing how the Lord has been at work in people's lives and the stories that he's telling through as the gospel takes root and transforms and changes people. And, uh, and so and, and I think we see some of that in Philippians chapter 1. So we're going to spend some time here. And my hope and my prayer is that I've been an encouragement to you as we spend time uh, together in God's Word. So let's read and I'm going to pray and then we'll spend some time in these things. So tell me if you're ready. Philippians 1 verses 3 to 11. This is what God's Word has to say to us this morning. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that you love me about more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray, and then we'll think about these things together. Father, we are thankful to you for this morning, thankful for what we've been able to sing to you and about you. And Father, we pray you would receive our worship this morning. We pray now as well that as we um, come to your word, we would receive your word. We would receive your word with thanksgiving. Uh, we would receive your word with a desire that it would take root in our lives and transform us and change us. Father, we pray that you would be at work amongst us, that you would bind our hearts together around about your word and around about your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this maybe seems like a, a, a stupid question uh, for a preacher to ask, but do you want to be a biblical church? Okay, that's a, it seems like a stupid question, right? Okay, so somewhat rhetorical. Do you want to be a biblical church? Is that what you want? Do you want to be part of a biblical church? Um, again, it seems like a redundant question. Of course, of course we do. Of course we do. Why? We would never say anything other than that. We want to be part of a biblical church. Um, and so I think hopefully we're all agreed that we want to be part of a biblical church. We want to be a part of a church that is living its life out, that's existing according to God's word as it's directed by that and shaped by that and, and directed by that. Uh, so we want to be part of a biblical church. And, but often that we miss the fact that that involves us playing our part in a biblical way. If we want to be part of a biblical church, then the, the church isn't just an Hopefully we've got to a point where we understand the church isn't just an organization. The church is a gathering of people, including you. And that's that involves, if you want to be part of a biblical church, that that involves you playing your part in a biblical way. Um, and and so, so what we're going to look at this morning in Philippians chapter 1, it speaks to the character and the nature of what it means to belong to a local church. 
what it means to belong to a Harvest Glasgow or a Harvest Air. What does that mean? What does that look like? How does that, how, what shape does, how, what contribution does our life make to that? What does it mean for us? What does it look like for us to be part of that? So there's three things uh, this morning for you. So we're going to dive straight into those and um, hopefully be able to illustrate that as we go along from the text and then maybe from, from, from things that we've, we've seen happening um, up the road. So here, here's the first thing that, that being part of a biblical church involves you, you playing your part in a biblical way. Um, the first way that works out is this, focusing on first things from the first day. Okay, that's what we're called to do. We're fo- called to focus on first things from the first day. And, well, we're called to do that and we're set an example in that by the, the church in Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So focusing on first things, the gospel from the first day, from the day you walk into the church, the day you walk into a gathering of God's people together, there's an encouragement there. And that's what the church in Philippi is modeling to us here. From the first day, they hit the ground running. They came in with a sense of intention. And we're going to come back to that in a little while. But they came in with an intention. They had made some decisions and had some thoughts about what that would look like and what that would mean for them. Now, over the course of the years, we've seen many first-time visitors come into Harvard Glasgow, many first-time visitors, Andy and Heidi back in 2010, remember when Lee and Zoe came in, remember when uh, we've had a variety of folks coming into our, into, into our church. Okay, I remember when Gordon and Lorraine and Derek and Susie and, and, and Joshua and so, so many folks and, and, and Francis and Debs. I remember when all those folks came into our church for the first time. Remember the, the Fothering Gay Centre or um, the, our new, uh, the building we were able to buy five years ago. First time, and here's what we know about first-time visitors. And maybe you, I don't know that if you're a first-time visitor here this morning, welcome. I'm not the normal preacher, so come back next week to hear the real preacher, okay? Um, but here's, here's, what, here's what we've noticed that first-time visitors are asking. They're asking, is this place friendly? Okay. Is this place friendly? Is it welcoming? Do they make me feel welcome? Do they, do they seem like they care for me? Do they feel, seem like they care for one another? Is it welcoming? Second question they're asking is, do I like the music? Okay, do I like the music? That's the second question. No pressure, Joshua. Okay, do I like the music? They're asking that question. Do I like the songs? Can I sing with these people? Okay, is that, that's because usually that's one of the first things they encounter when you come into the service. The, 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 the music starts and you start to sing. You think, oh, wait, wait, do I like this? They're asking that question. Third question, they're asking, could I, could I listen to the preacher every week? Okay, as I said, I'm not the normal guy. Okay, could I listen to the preacher every week? Can I listen to this? Is this, is, is, is he, is he, so I hope you're asking, is he opening God's word? Is he explaining God's word? Is he, is he, is he unpacking that in a way? And is he drawing my life into that and applying it to my life? Is he doing that? Can I listen to the preacher every week? And then at the end of the service, you're looking around and asking, could I, are these people I could spend time with? Am I going to come back next week and do that? And those are the kind of questions that first-time visitors are asking. So take a look around for a little moment, if you would, okay? This is where we all get to join in a little bit. That's how we tend to work, okay? Take a little look around. How do, they, how do you view the people who you are sitting in this room with just now? How do you view them? Now, I'm not asking about your, for, about your opinion of their dress sense. And I, 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 you might notice Lee and I are twinning a little bit on the cord shirts this morning. I'm not sure if you noticed this, that this morning. Uh, Andy didn't get the memo about wearing the cord shirts um, today. Um, it's, I'm not talking about their dress sense, or I'm not, and I'm not talking about their conversational ability. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm asking the question, what value do you see in them? Are they people that you would consider spending your life with? 
And even then, it's good to clarify that because we talk, talk about the idea of spending your life as, or spending time or spending your life with someone as if it's a kind of throwaway thing. But what, we, what is stored up in that idea of spending your life or spending your time is it's making an investment. The whole idea of spending is making an investment. What are you spending your time on? What are you investing your life in? Not just spending your time with them in a days or weeks or years kind of way. Investing your life for the first things, for the gospel and partnership in the gospel. So do you see this church family and the mission and vision that it is called to as a people with whom you can invest yourself and spend yourself with? The encouragement and invitation is to do that, to, to spend your life after the mission and vision of Harvest Air. That, that's what I would encourage you to do. I know people here. I would invest my life, I, if I was with, in Glasgow with our church family there, I would, I would gladly spend and invest my life here with you all after the mission and vision that you're called to here. And that's what Paul sees in Philippi. And it makes him thankful. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that makes him thankful. It's like he's saying, whenever I think, I thank Okay? Whenever I think, I thank. Everyone say that. It's a fun thing to say. Okay, one, two, three, one, two, three. Whenever I think, I thank. Okay? So when you look around the room, when you think about the people you're spending time with, whenever I think, I thank. Are you, are you thankful for them? Are you willing to invest yourself in thank, being thankful for them? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Whenever someone mentions you, I am moved to express gratitude to God. I tell you, in Harvest Glasgow, that is Harvest there. Whenever we think about Harvest Fair, we are thankful for you. Whenever we are praying for you, we are praying with thankfulness for what the Lord is doing among you here. Whenever we think, we thank. Whenever, whenever someone mentions you, I'm moved to express gratitude to, you, to God for you. That's what Paul is saying about the church in Philippi. He's not skimping on this. Thankfulness is so, and we should note that thankfulness is such an important characteristic in our relationships and for our relationships. Maintaining an attitude of thankfulness for one another is a tremendous attitude for when we are less than thrilled with one another. And that will happen. That will happen. You just need to look, look ahead a little bit in the, in, in the book of Philippians to two people called Euodia and Syntyche and to see that sometimes that happens. And I wonder whether that, that idea of thankfulness is actually going to start to bear some fruit in their lives. So we don't know, but what happens with them down the line? Maintaining an attitude of thankfulness for one another is a tremendous, tremendous antidote when we are less than thrilled with one another. Now, I understand that being from the west of Scotland there is an outside chance that we might not be naturally inclined towards that more thankful temperament, okay? At least that's a stereotype, right? Can we all agree at least that it's a stereotype whether that's true of us or not? So that makes it doubly important for us to invest in being thankful and in this, and in, and in this example being thankful for one another. As we will see, Paul makes his chief trophy of thankfulness what God is doing in their lives. So just now let's say this, the richest thankfulness is that which thrills evidence of what God is doing in someone's life, God, evidence of God's grace in someone's life, and examples of how God is changing their life to be more like Jesus. So, so that, that, the thankfulness that Paul is talking about here, that prayer with thankfulness, therefore requires two things. It requires togetherness and it requires attentiveness. It needs us to be willing to be pressed together by the Lord so that we are in a position to see and celebrate the work of the Lord 
and it and involves a growing sense of appreciation of these, that these things will not be achieved by holding one another at arm's length. There's not much that's arm's length about how Paul is communicating for the church, to, to the church in Philippi. I hold you in my heart, he's going to say in a little bit. Rather, here's a thankfulness that causes Paul to pray with a sense of, and the sense of the prayer is of regularly and frequently for them with, for them with joy. His thankfulness doesn't stand alone. His thankfulness breeds a prayerfulness. His thankfulness spurs him to pray for them. The sense is that the thankfulness fuels that. And it would appear that there's something true about this. The more thankful, even as we look at our own lives, the more thankful we are, the more likely we are that our lives will be prayerful. The more thankful we are, and particularly the more thankful we are for the work that we see God doing, the more thankful to, to, that we are to God for one another, the more prayerful we will become because we'll be looking to him more and more. Our prayers get to be fueled by joy at what, God, what we see God doing. So that would be true of the people around about you. Are you thankful for what you see the Lord doing in them? How you see them growing and deepening in their love and their knowledge of him? And so there's an invitation here to the kind of relationships that are vigilant around the work of the Lord in, in, in a life such as enhances your own walk with the Lord. It's interesting here, the root, for the, the, the root of the Greek word for joy here is the same as, as for grace. How good is the Lord that he allows us what we see of, he allows what we see of his investment in, the, in those around us as we invest our lives with him to deepen our joy in him. It's not that we de- he, the goal is not that our joy would deepen in our relationships with one another. It's that God would use our relationships with one another to deepen our joy in him. To look to him and to worship him and to be thankful to him. That's what Paul is experiencing. When he prays for them, he does so with joy. He tells us one of the, one of the reasons for this joyful prayerfulness is, is this. It's their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's what he talks about. And, and as I said, I know how he feels. Every, time I rem- every Sunday when we pray for you at Harvest Glasgow, every time I remember that God is planting a church in the town of Ayr that is seeking to grow together for his glory, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you and what we are seeking to do together as rooted churches, Harvest Glasgow and Harvest Air, working together to plant more churches to, in order that God would be glorified and disciples would be made and, people would, and lost people would be saved. I'm thankful we get to do this together. Your faithfulness is fuel for my thankfulness. So the question this poses for all of us, what does it look like to partner in the gospel and to do so in such a way as fuels thankfulness? prayerfulness, and a joy in those around us and those observing our life together. I just noted down a few things that partnering in the gospel might look like. Um, First of all is making the one we look to for salvation and security, Jesus. Trusting him in his death on the cross. Having lives that are informed by and directed by the gospel. So making the one we look to for salvation and security, Jesus. Second of all, making much of Jesus. The gospel going to work in you before through you. I was speaking at uh, uh, Strathclyde University Christian Union, so this is the second time Joshua has heard me uh, speak this week. Apologies for that. 
But I talked about how I was talking there from Romans 8 about how the, the, in order for the gospel to go to work through us, it has to first of all go to work in us. And that's what being partnership in the gospel is, the, together agreeing that that's what we're going to make the basis of our lives. We're going to make the basis of, of our investment in one another's lives. Uh, the, the, the shared desire that the gospel would be working in us, continually changing us, continuing to make us like Jesus in order that we would make much of him. So making the one we look to for salvation and security, Jesus, that's first maybe one thing that's to do with partnership in the gospel. Making much of Jesus is maybe a second one. Making disciples for Jesus. That's the, that's the job of the local church. If you want to be part of a biblical church, and we've all, I think, agreed that we want to be part of a biblical church, maybe, maybe we can talk about it if you don't. But making disciples for Jesus, that is the job of the local church. And as we said, not organizationally, but, but taking the individual opportunity and responsibility to be, to be speaking Jesus into one another's lives, to be sharing the gospel into one another's lives. And if you don't know where to start making a start or asking for help to know how to make a start, that we work together with that, we strengthen one another in the for that purpose. And then find, and maybe one other thing I've just noted down here, making progress in the mission of telling people about Jesus. I loved when I walked in and it said in the little sign outside the door, come meet Jesus. That, that, is that what you're praying would be true here? That is what partnership in the gospel, you get to do that together by inviting your friends and sharing Jesus with them and praying for one another's friends who don't know Jesus yet. All those things are partnering, partnering in the gospel. And we may also note the encouragement to faithfulness contained here, he says, from the first day until now. What does that tell you? It tells me you need, there's, an, there's, a, there's an encouragement to persevering and enduring. To don't stop now. Don't stop doing the, those things. There's a guy called G. Oswald Sanders who wrote, some of you may be familiar with his devotional books, so books that help you kind of have a day-to-day -day pattern of reading the Bible with a little thought to go along with that. He said this, a small thing is a small thing. A small thing done faithfully is a great thing. A small thing is a small thing. A small thing done faithfully is a great thing. Continuing to invest, even in small ways, with one another, persevering and enduring. Even when it feels small, even when it feels like a struggle. From the first day until now, they, 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 and it tells us don't expect uh, don't expect to not have to do it. Don't ex and don't anticipate anyone else doing it. Keep doing it because you are convinced that Jesus is both worth it and He is worthy. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is worth it? Do you believe that Jesus is worthy? From the first day until now, keep partnering in the gospel. Keep sharing the gospel with one another. Keep investing in the gospel. Keep spending your life for the gospel. Part of Paul's thankful and prayerful joy is, that, is their willingness to keep doing the kind of things that will matter in eternity. Is that where you want to spend your life on? Is that what you want to spend your life on? I don't know about you. I want to spend my life on things that are going to matter in eternity, things that are going to count for Jesus' glory in eternity. They're going to count for people's salvation in eternity. That's what we're called to invest our lives in. That's what we get to spend our lives on. That's what we get to spend our time together doing. From the first day, and, and so that involves, and that involves some things. So maybe, maybe you are new. 
maybe you are new, maybe it's the first time, maybe, maybe you're still figuring harvest the year out a little bit. It's quickly deciding, readily committing, swiftly investing in your life. That's what from the first day implies. Not holding back, not holding out, but rather second things. So I was, that's the first thing, focusing in first things from, from the first day. Second is found willing in God's finishing work. That's the second thing that being contributing to being part of a biblical church is bolster is being found willing in God's finishing work. Not holding back, not holding out, thinking through how do I how do I make an impact for Jesus in this place and with these people, among these people. Look, look, look again at what verses six and seven say. And I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. Are you going to be found willing in that kind of work? And it's not always going to be easy, that's really clear. Paul's in prison for this. The, the Philippian church are standing with him and amongst all of that. The, the letter is really sent in response to a gift that was sent by them to him. They've associated, they've not, they've not given up on him. They've they're continuing to associate and support him, even in his prison cell. And Paul says this, so, so, so are we going to be found willing in God's finishing work? Listen, there's a lot to love about this, about verse 6, isn't there? I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's something to put up on your wall or have on your phone lock screen to see every time you look at it. God is, is going to finish what he has started in you. There's so much security in being surrendered to and sold out for Jesus. There's great release in recognizing you've been redeemed by him. You've been bought with a price. You've been made part of his family. I'm sure of this, Paul says. I wonder, I wonder if you think about your life, how many things are you really sure about? How many things are you sure about in your life? Well, here's another one. Here's the best one. I'm sure of this. When Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you can be sure of this. Paul is here describing being persuaded or confident. That's what the gospel allows us to be, and here's what we can be sure of. This is what Paul is sure of. This is what salvation in Jesus provides, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ when we get to go to be with him or when he comes to collect us. God is going to finish what he started in you. Do you believe that? There's tremendous assurance in the awareness that salvation is a work of God's grace. That is that it depends upon God and not us, places us in his eternal provision and, um, and, and his eternal protection. And so we might well ask ourselves, if God who created the heavens and the earth, who holds place and time and life and breath in his hands, started something in me or in you, who or what has power to interrupt it? Who has power to disrupt that? The answer is no way. It's what Jesus, what, what caused Jesus to say in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. What great promise. 
The picture is of you being placed in the hand of the eternal God who created the, the, the heavens and the earth. And he gathers you into the, the soft embrace of his hand, but st- the soft but strong embrace of his hand. And the question is, can anyone pull back his fingers? Can anyone pluck you from his hand? Can anyone remove you from that place? So when we see and we hear, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ is to invite you to see your life there if you trusted Jesus or to ask that your life would be placed in that by trusting Jesus. It's a pretty awesome picture that Jesus gives us. When we think about all of the... When you, just think about your life for a moment. When you think about all the fragility and all the insecurity and all the vulnerability in your life, when you think about how broken and hopeless the things the world invites you to find security in, when you think about how disappointing and disorientating their failure to deliver security is, how amazing it is to have something that is eternally reliable given, us, given to us by someone who is unchangeably faithful. So the question is, are we willing to allow that to, divide, to define our lives? Is the truth about how God has laid hold of your life, liberating you to live for him? The day of Christ is coming, and God is going to prove himself to have been faithful to you. Will your life today be lived, fueled by faith in him? Will that security release you to serve him? Will, you, will it release you to spend your life for him? The church in Philippi is setting as an example. Were they perfect? No. Did they have it all together? No. Did they always see eye to eye? No. Just We mentioned Euodia and Syntyche earlier on. Did they need help in seeing Jesus clearly at times? Yes. But Paul is looking at them and saying, it is right, look what it says, it is right, verse 7, for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. It's right for me to feel this way about you. It's right that I have this love for you. It's right that I have this confidence and sincerity, not because of what was going on with them, but because of what was going on in them, because of the gospel. There's, there's an appropriate response to evidence of grace, and here it is, I hold you in my heart. When you understand the grace of the Lord in someone's life, when you understand how God has loved somebody enough to save them and to now be sanctifying them, to be setting them apart for his purposes and to be making, making Jesus more clearly seen through them. I hold you in my heart. It's just a great picture. It's a, it's a great sentence to describe what the relationship among followers of Jesus can and should look like. So the passage is encouraging a level of intent and intentionality here. That means we make a decision and we apply ourselves to that decision. The decision and application in holding one another in our hearts. But I'm new, maybe you're saying. It takes time, maybe you say. Maybe those are your objections. But do you, so the question isn't, aren't you, aren't, isn't, are you there yet? The question is, what intent do you have? Are you even thinking in those, are you thinking in those terms? Because the encouragement here is to be thinking about those, those things. From the first day until now, that's the encouragement. Are you thinking in those things? Are you thinking, well, God, not, are, you, are you thinking in terms of wanting to and desiring to be somebody who's impactful for the gospel and among a people, a people like this? 
Do you have that intent? And if you're tempted that it's still too soon to be leaning in and adding your weight to the spiritual effort and investment that is going on here, remember what Paul was thankful for. He was most thankful for their partnership in the gospel from, from the first day until now. Focused and faithful, intent and, inten- and intentionality, doing it from day one. Having that intent from day one. Having that desire from day one. And this partnership is based upon this one thing, their shared experience of grace. They're partakers with him in grace. God's God's grace in the gospel is what gels the local church together. It happens when we share our stories of how the gospel has transformed us. It happens when we apply the gospel to the more difficult things that are happening among us. It happens when we comfort one another with the things that the gospel says are true for us. That's been Paul's experience. That's that has been Paul's experience. Grace that doesn't give up. He says, you stayed with me. He's saying, you stayed with me when I was in prison for the gospel and while I was defending the gospel and while the gospel was being confirmed in me through my suffering. God's word here is directing us to find a people with whom to forge faithfulness with. Faithfulness to the gospel and faithfulness to one another. It's an awesome thing that the local church gets to be a place where we defend the gospel and demonstrate the gospel together. The invitation to be part of a local church then is to lend your story and spend your life with other people because you love God and you intend to love this people. So when we consider the state of our nation and the spiritual plight of our towns and cities, is there, I would ask, any room for hesitance or reticence when it comes to these things? I'm not sure if Lee's shared these stats with you, but the headline stat in the wider mainland United Kingdom is that the current trajectory, every mainstream historical denomination will cease to exist in the next 20 years in, the next meaning, in, 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 in any meaningful sense. Over the last 15 years, over 1,800 churches have closed their doors in Scotland, with only 300 being planted. To get back to the number of churches there were some 30 years ago, we would need to see some 6,000 gospel churches planted. Those are, not my, those are not numbers I've made up. Those are numbers that have been researched. And that's what we are called to spend our lives on together. Harvest Air exists as a testimony that God is continuing to work, that Jesus promised to build his church still stands, and you, and you get to be among the few who do the much to serve the many. So focusing on first things from the first day, found willing in God's finishing work finally verses 8 to 11 filling my life with eternally fruitful things for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God do you want your life to exist to the glory and praise of God well, that involves filling your life with eternally fruitful things. God, Paul says, God is my witness. I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. That's the right way for us to think about our love and care for one another. And by the, and by the way, isn't it mind-blowing that it says here that Jesus has affection for any one of us. He loves, him with the affi- he loves them with the affection of Jesus Christ. He loves them like Jesus loves them. 
And when, so when our hearts are aligned in that way with Jesus, when we are intent to pursue faithfulness one, with one another as an expression of gospel transformation, then that means we pray and we, we pray and we, pursue, we pray for one another and we pursue different priorities together. So what is it that Paul yearns for as fruit of his love for them? What is it that he is most earnestly desiring to see come about in their lives? What is the what is the goal of the intent and the intentional investment that he sees happening there that we might use as an example as we consider our own lives and our own gathering together? Well, three things this involves is investing ourselves in seeking. Spend yourself in seeking, first of all, abounding love. First thing he prays for them is that they would have a growing love. A growing love. A growing love for God, growing love for one another. The word, abound, the word abound here pictures overflowing. It is that your love for God would well up and pour out. Do you love God? What, this, what Paul is praying for the church in Philippi, what we might pray for one another. Maybe that's your first step in your first things from the first day. He's praying that it would, their, his, their love for God would well up and overflow and pour out. Maybe in worship, maybe in conversation, maybe in everyday decisions you make, and, or maybe in the choices you make around obedience to Him and what it means to live according to His Word. It is love for God that is uncontainable in how it causes you to want to live for Him and to live to please Him above everything else. That is likely why abounding love sits besides Paul, Paul's prayer for them to be growing in. Second of all, approving, instinct, approving instincts. That, so spend yourself in seeking not just abounding love, but also approving instincts. So that growing love, abounding more and more, there's the overflow with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. Approving instincts, knowledge and discernment, a growing grasp of truth, approve what is excellent. Because discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, but right and almost right. The difference between discernment and wisdom, between knowledge and wisdom is knowing that a, tom a tomato is a fruit and knowing not to put it in a fruit salad, right? So there's also different things people say about wisdom and discernment, but wisdom and discernment, knowledge and discernment, knowing God in such a way as allows you to discern the world and to discern your heart, and, discern, and to discern one another and where you're at in your relationship with God. Knowledge, a growing grasp of truth is really what's, what's at stake here and what is being we're being invited to pursue, a growing grasp of truth in order that we would be able to approve what is excellent. Underlying the life that's spent for God is the life that's seeking the will and wisdom of God and the word of God. Are you spending time there? It's having a love for God that is deliberate and decisively taking God at his word and examining the details of the life according to what the Bible says. It's having a willingness to allow the things in God's word to have, superior, to have superiority over the pleasures and the passions and the priorities of this world. So it's what I believe about God carefully true. Am I seeking him in his word to know him better? It's what the preacher or 
that I'm listening to or as the writer that is writing the book that I'm reading is what they are telling me thoroughly biblical. Or when I consider not other people's lives, when I consider my own life is how I am living authentically obedient to God, what I see in God's word. And am I inviting people to help me walk in those ways? That's the job of the local church is to help us with those things, to, dis- to, to, to know God better and to be able to discern our lives better. That's why later on in Philippians we, see, we hear Paul saying, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's what we get to do together. That's what we get to encourage one another and direct one another towards the things that are true, the things that are excellent, the things that produce, the pe- produce peace because they produce a close walk with God. Because if our lives are going to be filled with eternally fruitful things, there are things we need to know and there will be times and situations when we, where we need to discern. So we need not to be governed by how we feel. We need to not to be governed by how we feel by what is faithful. Not to be directed by the world, but to be directed by God's word. And then amongst all of that, we need the kind of friendships. We need a church family who will help us see what we can't see about our own lives. Because here's the goal for ourselves. Here's the goal for one another. All of these contribute so that God gets glory, so that Jesus becomes more famous as his grace is more evident in our lives, as, he, as his transformation becomes more clear, as people see our lives lived in peace with him. So we get to, so we get to invest in, we get to spend ourselves seeking abounding love, approving instincts, lasting. We get to seek what it means to be adorned with righteousness. Love this, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Anyone else want that? I want that. Which that was more true of me, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's what he's going to finish. Totally filled, completely filled, maturely filled with righteousness, filled with the fruit of righteousness, pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's what it means that he's going to finish his work. He is planning, his plan is to get you ready for that day when you get to meet with him. The job of the church is to prepare you to meet Jesus and to encourage you to live a life that glorifies Jesus. The gospel tells us that Jesus has made us eternally pure and blameless, so we partner in the gospel by helping one another live out that reality in everyday life. The gospel tells us that we've been given all we need to live a righteous life, to live a li- which is a life according to God's plans and purposes. That's what a righteous life is. Pleasing to him. So what we get to do, what does it mean to be part of a biblical church? What does it mean for you to play your part? It's partnering with one another. It's partnering with the people sat around you and cheerleading for that reality in one another's lives and challenging us, challenging one another when we need redirected. The greatest way to spend your life. What do you think it is? C.T. Studd, the great Christian missionary, said this, only one life that soon shall pass only what's done for Christ will only what's done for Christ will last. Imagine this. Your life can count for the glory and praise of God who loves you and sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. 
Is there anything better than placing your trust in him? And is there anything better than spending your life on him receiving glory for doing that for you? Greatest way to spend your life? Is there anyone better to spend your life for than the Lord? Let me pray. Father, we do want to thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the price he paid for us. We, we thank you for the freedom that that gives us. We thank you for the promises that are sure for us through that. We thank you for the eternal certainty and assurance that that offers any one of us who put our trust in him. And Father, so Father, we pray that you would spur us, you would cause us to consider what does it live with the kind of intent and intentionality to make a decision to live for you. Father, we pray that that's what you would provoke amongst us this morning. That we would decide to live for you, decide to spend our lives for you gladly because we love you. So Father, we pray you would cause us to abound in love more and more for you and for one another such as would produce gospel fruit in one another's lives and it would increase the glory that you get from our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.